Okay, as we uh, proceed in our second Samuel now, in uh, in our chapter uh, three, we uh, definitely get it developed. What's that, Debbie? One question about that. He was the son of Laish. Where have we heard that name before? Um, that might have to be looked up. Um, I am. I'm not sure. Uh, the husband from Pal-Teal, the son of Laish. And I'm, I'm looking at if there's any kind of note on there at all alongside my text here. What's that in uh, 15, verse 15? Is there something in 2544? That's, it's probably dealing with Pal-Teal, though. 1 Samuel 2544. Okay. If uh, I'm sure it can be found if uh, there's something there. So, yeah, I wish I'd know. But, you know, usually those names mean something, don't they? They're just not there for uh, just for uh, listing it. But a lot of times they'll list uh, the son of somebody and you'll go, who's that? And then that's it. That's all we know of. But it's in that line. Uh, if you previously would take some of the line of somebody else, you might run into that. So it's a pretty good little study. Oh, oh. Is the name of a place as well. So he was a well-known person, even if it was him or somebody else. Sometimes you get a name after uh, that. You get a city named if there's there's a son of whoever, and they could call that too. So. Okay, in um, 17 through 19, you got Abner. uh, Abner speaks with the elders of Israel. He goes up to them and says, "Hey, you know what? Let's let's reunite." And he he spoke in the hearing of Benjamin, and then he was going to speak in the hearing of David. So it's not that he does this all by himself in a solo work, but he consults with them of Israel. And so this is what he does. And then in uh, 20 and 21, you have this covenant and peace between Abner, who had become the enemy of David and Judah. Uh, Cover that real quick. Abner had consultation with elders of Israel, right? In uh, 17 and verse 20, Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron. David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Abner said to David, Let me arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may be king over all that your soul desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. He was there. This is what makes Joab very angry. Because he comes back from battle, and he figured when he'd come back to get Abner that he'd go ahead and take care of him. The thing is, is that if they would have been in war at, at that time, then it would have kind of cleared his name a little bit. But when they're now in peace, and a covenant of peace, when Joab kills him, it really is murder because he's no longer the enemy. They've already made a covenant. So that's what makes Joab look really bad. But uh, he let anger get the best of him, and... Uh, that's the result of what happens in a lot of the stories in Samuel. So it wasn't legal for Joab to kill him anymore. And that's coming up. Anyway, Joab was absolutely in 
I guess inflamed, he, he, he was disgusted with what David had done. And that's what 20 through tw- uh, 22 through 25 is basically about. And so it's like, David, what are you doing? You know, you went and you left him, let him go in peace. So that uh, is where we're at there after point one. Your second point starts in 26 through 29, and this is the murder. Joab murders Abner, and I know we kind of covered this a little bit last week. But uh, in 26 and 27, it says Joab came from David. He sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the well of Sirah, but David did not know it. So they caught him. So when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the middle of the gate to speak with him privately. There's a lot of deception going on here now too. And then he struck him in the belly so that he died on account of the blood of Asahel, his brother. That's Joab's youngest brother, the one who was really fast and tried to kill Abner on his own, and Abner wound up killing him. He didn't want to, but he did. And he knew that would cause problems with his older brother, which is Joab now. Yeah, he used it backwards. Anyway, verse 28, Afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are innocent before the Lord. Forever the blood of Abner, the son of Ner, may it fall on the head of Joab and all his father's house. And may there not fall from the house of Joab, fail from the house of Joab, one who has a discharge or who is a leper or who takes hold of a distaff or who falls by the sword who lacks bread. Kind of a curse going on there, right? that nobody in that line of him would be successful. And a lot of them would have physical problems and such. So Joab and Abishai, his other brother, his brother killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle at Gibeon. That was the biggest reason because he killed his brother in war. This is a time of peace even though it just was just over. So Okay, but we didn't really trust Abner. Right. Abner wasn't really an honorable good guy. He he was there to find out the um, you're going out and you're coming in. <laughs> That's all He's up to no good. You know, and so yeah, I think Joab is trying to protect the king. He also has a vendetta he does want to kill him, no matter what. He would rather have done it in wartime, and he's going to reap some not-too-good results as the story goes on for you know years here. But you can see what David thinks of him now. He lost his trust for him, and we say, well, wow, David, look what he did, though. You know. But um, I think God is involved in all of this. There's no doubt about that. But he has a zealousness. Yeah. Well, because Abner had to go. Abner had to go, and David couldn't do it. Because if David had done it, it would have divided the nation forever. Yep. David, David never would have been king over all Israel. You could see Abner would probably place some strings over here on the side, and, and possibly, you know. We... So Abner had to go, but David couldn't kill him. So he used Joab. God knows what he's doing. <laughs> At the same time, he is responsible for what he did. Responsible for what he did. So, we, we, we get murder there. God 
providentially removes people out regardless of whether it's sickness or you know murder or what have you it is old age you know eventually God is going to take them uh, life is precious though we know that I don't just put that there lightly but David will not become king because of Abner I believe what we have here is that God is the kingmaker and He's already made His statement the way it's going to be and it's going to be this way. And Abner's not going to get any credit out of this ultimately. Uh, he was going, to, he was switching allegiance. That's, un, we can't question that. But, uh, you know, his approach to David seems somewhat like what Satan was to Jesus whenever he tempted him, saying, you can have all the kingdoms in the world. Now, where did Satan ever think that he really has control of all of this? Well, he's the prince of the power of the air, and he's the king of this age and such. But really, Jesus is obviously was not going to be fooled by that. Here is Satan saying, I can give this to you. Well, it's not time yet. He's got certain things he has to do, and namely the the cross is as is right there. You know that's what's going to be for the next three years as he marches to it. Uh, that was very early on, just as the ministry just was starting, right? So Abner offers him a shortcut. Just like Satan offered Jesus a shortcut. You can have the kingdom now. Uh, I think the same thing happened in the Garden of Eden. You can be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, the thing is, is that, yeah, it would be great to know all the things that God wants us to know. But the problem is, that is not in God's timing. And he had already made his statement of the way that it was going to be carried out. Um, there's always a path where the enemy wants to give his people another way. And it looks a lot quicker, a lot shorter, a lot better. It looks good. And that's how Satan operates. Exactly. So, you know, that's one idea that, that definitely, I think, comes across here. In 28 through 30, David condemns the murder, and this is a divine judgment. It's done quickly, it's done decisively, and David now publicly renounces the actions of Joab as reprehensible. There is no excuse for what he did. I do not condone it. Now that's showing to all the people up north that they can trust David. Because Abner was a good guy to them. Probably for a lot of them. 33-39, David mourns Abner. He also gets Joab to mourn for him, whether he wants to or not. And all the rest of the people mourning. And that, again, you know, that's showing all the people and now he's removing any kind of guilt that he would have had. I didn't have anything to do with this murder of Abner. That's what David's saying, basically. And he's gaining favor now of all of them. 
If they weren't ready before, they are now. And that brings us up to chapter 4. Um, and this is where Ishbosheth is murdered. He's still king there, but he's murdered. And so, chapter 3 leaves us with the mourning of Abner. And so, the puppet king without Abner, the commander, is really nothing, is he? He's weak. Uh, he he loses his courage. It says here in verse one, he lost courage. Uh, can you imagine him standing up against David? Not a chance. Yeah. Now with Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage, and all Israel was disturbed. So what are they going to do now? Right. That's the question. Saul's son had two men who were commanders of bands. There is men. What happens? Well, the name of the one was Bana, and the name of the other, Rechab, and of Remon, the uh, Berothite, of the sons of Benjamin. For Beroth is also considered part of Benjamin. And the Berothites fled to Gitaim and have been aliens there until this day. So, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. So it gives us a little side story here. We know about this story. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. And we, that's all. It's like a little paragraph set aside here, but you hold on to that, though, you know. And, but it does make sense. In this story, it's right in line, isn't it? This happens to be Jonathan's son. And he wasn't born crippled, but he would be in the line of being a king. Well, when we find out about what happens to Ishbosheth, who is killed, there's only one other one in line now to be king. And it would be Mephibosheth. But he's lame. He's crippled. And a lot of, uh, back at that time, cultures would have killed Mephibosheth. Because he would have been the only threat to being a king or a puppet king, whoever. But so he was five. And it's like seven years later now, right? He's probably somewhere around 12 now. Um, anyway, he's going. we know that David is going to take him into the household of the king and take care of him because you remember the covenant that David and Jonathan had. Beautiful story of mercy and grace and love that David shows. A great picture of Christ, isn't it? So that little uh, section there, really it's just one verse. Verse 4 is definitely playing a big part here. So you'd say, well, what happens now? Well, I guess we come back to those two commanders. Verse 5, For the sons of Remon, the Beorothite, and Rechab and Bana departed and came to the house of Ishbosheth in the heat of the day while he was taking his midday rest. They came to the middle of the house as if to get wheat and they struck him in the belly, and Rechab and Bana and his brother escaped. 
Now when they came into the house as he was lying on his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and killed him and beheaded him, and they took his head and traveled by way of the Arabah all night. Then they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Behold the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. Thus the Lord has given my Lord the king vengeance this day on Saul and his descendants. They don't know David, do they? They don't they know David. They obviously didn't hear about the guy that killed Saul. Did you guys ever hear this story? You don't know what you are have done. Yeah, we know exactly. You just read that and you go, uh, we've heard this before. They got dis- uh, He got disposed of very quickly, didn't he? Well, same here. Uh, Ishbosheth is murdered. And you think, okay, now it's time for David to be the king. And they were just helping him out. Everybody's trying to help David out, aren't they? Wonder what kind of motives they have in all this. Mm. They were commanders of Ishbosheth, so now maybe they would get the positions. Ah, maybe we can really advance up here now. They do not know David. Yep. So uh, now Ishbosheth is removed. The only one we have left here is you know a little incident first there. Mephibosheth, which don't you like to say that name? Yeah. Um, he's a he's a lame duck, if I could say that. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, he can't rule on his own. Uh, and and as far as uh, Ishbosheth, the same thing. He's a puppet king. He was not going to be able to rule and reign there. Abner had the brains. Abner had the bronze. Wrong. <laughs> So, uh, he, he was a token king. What's that? Brain and brawn. Brain All right. I, I thought it was interesting because I noticed the similarities in the name, Ishbosheth and Mephibosheth. So I looked it up. And I don't know, probably not significant at all, but I looked up the meaning of that. And the meaning of Ishbosheth is man of shame. And Mephibosheth is one who destroys shame. Well, I think what you're probably hitting on is something that is significant. (laughs) Yes, names are important, and I think somehow God figures in a lot of names. Sometimes He tells directly to name that, and I think other times people name. And why would you ever name a son dealing with shame? Well, my, um, my note down here says that the wording was changed because uh, his name was was um, it included Baal instead of of uh, Ishbosheth instead of Bosheth, which is the shame part. Okay. And and because the Hebrews were when they were writing their text there they didn't want to write the name of the Lord. But they didn't want to put the put the Lord's name on anybody's name. Like this is what my but, the, but the Baal the, the <laughs> yeah. Baal part. Yeah. And so who knows, maybe the shame part kind of works in there along with that too. Or yeah. sometimes you get yeah. translations well, and it can't be difficult. They knew. Yeah. 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 Y
that yeah. Ishbosheth was a man of shame. Right. So, how would you like to have that as a king? That name is that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think everybody uh, pretty well knew that he was a weak man. He was a token king, and this whole nation was ever weakening. And now the leadership is gone. You got the commander who was really the one doing the whole thing as of late. And uh, you know, it was it took uh, what he ruled two years, didn't he? Five years. David was king of Judah. There really wasn't any king until finally Abner moved him in there, and of course, just does it for a short time. So yeah, that's interesting about the names and what we have here, and. Uh, yeah, and we see definitely the shame removed away by obviously David showing his mercy to Mephibosheth, which is later in the story, isn't it? Uh, not too far along. Um, we 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 did the murder there. We read that, and they're trusted leaders, and they come to the king's house and enter in their midday nap and just kill him, and they travel all night bringing that head there, proudly presenting it to him, and they just don't understand at all. See, David, even after the point of the death of Saul, and he mourned him and gave him honor and wrote a song about him and, and such, and he still to that point knew that he was God's anointed. God chose him and he never ever wanted to stand in the way of that. He still knows that God's going to make him king. But here's the thing. He's human like us, and there had to be times when he'd say, God, why does this continue to go on? You know, he had to get... You know, he was weary. You read the Psalms and you get the heart of David. He pursued David or God constantly, and sometimes it was like it was almost like he was complaining but he was showing his humanness and how he was depending upon God in this situation. But he knew the truth, though, too, didn't he? And he was never going to stoop to any means to gain this throne. Why, why should he if he knows and he believes in God? And that's faith, isn't it? Really, it's true faith. Uh, he will never look the other way when somebody does wrong and tries to do it what they think they're doing to help him out. He could have just looked the other way and said, oh, you know, but he didn't do that with Joab. He's not going to do it with these two uh, fearless commanders. You know, they're, they're gone too. That, that's going to happen here. Um, Proverbs 16.10. I've got a few of these Proverbs. Listen to this. This is real good. A divine decision is in the lips of the king. His mouth should not err in judgment. In other words, he should do what he is to do because God put him there. Every leader and every king, every president, every czar, every Caesar was put in their place, believe it or not, no matter how wicked they were, put in there by God. And they are going to be held responsible very much for what they did or didn't do. Okay, what, did you, what song did you say? That was Proverbs 16.10. I'll read it again. A divine decision is in the lips of the king. 
His mouth should not err in judgment. Here's a second one. Proverbs 20 verse 8. A king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. He can get rid of the evil even by looking at it and then taking care of it and following up with it and and do it. He's the one. He is given that power by God Himself. Just think what happens if they don't do it and they do something else. They will be, be held highly responsible because they've been putting in a high position that only God gave them. Proverbs 20, verse 26. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. A wise king is one who takes care of all the ones that are wicked and do it on there. Even if it's going to cause all sorts of problems with their particular party that helped get them there. When they see wickedness, no matter what anybody says, they are going to take care of it. And then one other proverb, chapter 25, verse 5, take away the wicked before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Wow. So this is all, you know, uh, something that we could foresee in Proverbs, not Proverbs, but Romans, chapter 14, Later on, Paul writes this. Romans 14. Uh, I'm sorry, Romans 13. Uh, Every person, verse 1, is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. So, there it is. The governing authorities are given from God. Whether it seems good or seems bad, God gives what the people have deserved. He gave them Saul. And David obeyed that all the way on through, even till after he even died. Wow, that speaks volumes. Um, guess where it really came from? And it's hard to imagine that. You say, well, Hitler... Yeah, and sometimes there are incidents where God uses like certain people to remove those kings, or at least try to, um, in a time of war and millions of people are killed. I think there is a justice there given to men, and I have to think of... uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for one, one would say, well, was he right in doing what he was doing because God put it or there? I think he knew what was right and wrong. He tried to do it, uh, but he was found out. He lost his life. But he was standing for righteousness and what he thought was right in a biblical way, a very godly man. But yet God chose to keep Hitler for a little while longer. Not much, but a little while. God had his time for that. But there should have been people rising up even before that, honestly. But they didn't, and then later on, that's why God, in the the next place, gives them that king. 
because they weren't standing for righteousness and they weren't ready for when somebody would come in there and not allow them to take over. And so, you know, the, when you, people give in, the church especially, you have, the, of course, the Catholic Church in Germany, but also the Lutheran Church, which made up volumes of people at that time. Huge amounts. They really did nothing. Did nothing. Very few, they lost their lives. Exactly. Mussolini was just like a Hitler. Yeah. But how important Hitler was to the United States and to the world arena. And there came an ultimate world war. World War II. So there we have, I think, the response of David of why he did what he did with Saul. He loved Saul. He loved... God, he knew what God was doing there. Even though David did kill people, he was a warrior. He shed blood, didn't he? And he even ordered a man to be killed. So that's the sad part about David's life. We definitely know that he didn't condone this one, but he condoned what was convenient for him later on as he became king. It's kind of strange, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, all right. We know better than that, don't we? Yeah, it's that would seem right, though, wouldn't it? So we we've got the uh, death of Ishbosheth, that murder in verse nine. David answered Rechab and Bon and his brother, brother, sons of Ramon the Beerothite, and said to him, As the Lord lives who has redeemed my life from all distress, when one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing good news. I seized him and killed him in Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. Guess what? They're going, gulp. Uh-oh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man Ishbosheth was not really a great leader, but he was innocent. In his own house, on his bed. What kind of courageous act is this, right? Shall I not now require his blood from your hand and destroy you from the earth? You guys were supposed to be on his side. Yeah, he didn't have to be on my side. Then David commanded the young men, and they killed them cut off their heads and feet and hung them up beside the pool and he brought, cursed is the man who is hung, right? But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the grave of Abner in Hebron. So that's showing honor there. Um, that brings, uh, David doesn't back down, does he? Tony. How they hang uh, that's a good question. They kill them, cut off their hands and feet. Did I say, I said heads, didn't I? Head. Did I say heads? <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Hands and feet. Yeah, I was going to say, wait a minute. Yeah, I got a point. Uh, and hung them up. But then they took the head after they did that. That would have been kind of a custom. That's what enemies were noted for doing too, right? We've been seeing a, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of heads cut off. I mean, this is just about as low as you can go, isn't it? 
David cut off the giant's head, Goliath's head. That's right. These are done. What statement does that make to the enemy, you know? Or anybody for that matter. This time, let's just make it a statement to everybody. Anybody who does that, that's murder. And it's involving, you know, Saul and Saul's son and such. So that's, that's the place we're at. Now, guess what? Everybody's really removed now. Abner, Ishbosheth, that's what's been happening in the last five years or seven years really. And now we get into finally, finally David becomes king of all of Israel. We went through much of 1 Samuel and then here's 2 Samuel and nothing had come about yet. What did it start? About halfway through 1 Samuel? And it's like, God, when are you going to do your promise? Well, elders are going to come to David at Hebron, chapter 5, verse 1, and then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. We are of the Israelites. You are uh, previously when Saul was king over us. You were the one who led Israel out and in. He was quite a commander and they knew who he was, his stature. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be a ruler over Israel. They knew this. So all the elders of Israel came to the king in Hebron and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. They christened him. They mashiached him. Messiahed him or Christed, or Christened. You know, in the Greek, we go from Hebrew to Greek to go from Messiah to Christ, or it all means anointed. He's the anointed one. David is king. He had to wait for a long time. Here it is. We're waiting for the king of kings to come back, right? He's the anointed one. He is the Messiah. And uh, there we go. Waiting. I was looking at that. He's still just a kid. He's just 30. So that means he was probably maybe 15 years. It's about like 15 years that he waited to be king. Now he's 30 and he rules till he's 70, 40 years, right? David was 30 years old. Verse 4 says when he became king, he, and that's whenever he started uh, doing uh, Judah, right? And then seven years. So he has, uh, what? Um, 33 years then uh, of all of over Israel. He reigned 40 years. At, at Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So there we get the, uh, the count. Now, what we're going to do in the next 10 minutes is something really practical. you got to begin by observing that the promise God made to Israel and to David whenever Samuel anointed him way back when David becomes king of Israel after a considerable delay uh, 2021 let's go back 15 years 2006 you can kind of remember 2006 right? Uh, it's blurry. I'll still working still working and Carl, I think, had passed away already two years, I believe, right? But Johnny and Cindy were still 
Yep. Very much here at that time. Well, actually, so, you guys were not, were not here yet. No. They were not Was it 2011, right? <laughs> 2011? Yeah. So that's 10, year, 10 years you've been here. Oh. <laughs> right at it, probably. It's right at it. Yeah. Sort of. In and out sometimes. So 15 years, okay, it goes by pretty quick, but at the same time, that's a long time to wait if, you, if you're waiting for a job, <laughs> which is what he was really waiting for. It didn't, didn't happen uh, in, in his time that he was probably thinking. Uh, and at the same time, a great deal of adversity against him. Boy, you know, it not, it's only, not only about waiting, but all the adversity that he took in. So you have time and trouble <laughs> is what David got within that time period. Number two is the delay in, uh, in David becoming king is not unusual because it's really typical of how the way that God works. <laughs> I think we would all agree it doesn't come in our timing. God is bigger than time, isn't He? Matter of fact, He's outside of time. He's not in a hurry. Never has been in a hurry. We are in a hurry. Yeah, he just made time for us. That's time is for human beings. This is for us. It's a gift. Yeah. But He's not in that time realm. He's not. He doesn't care about the time. Whatever it takes to do what He does is what He is interested in. Do we find this throughout, though? God promising people, but they have to wait. And wait. And wait. Go through some stuff. Go through stuff. God promised Abram and Sarah a child. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. 25 years. <laughs> and they were way too old. It wasn't they didn't even want to part of the Bible. Impossible. That's right. Well, they, they were tired of that idea. Past the time. It's from Jeremiah. Those who wait on the Lord will rise up on the eagle's wings. Waiting upon the Lord. That's a good title for tonight's message. As a matter of fact, I was going to use that. That's too easy. Do you know how old he was when he had all his wife? Yeah. He was a teenager. Yeah. He was just a kid. Yeah. And, sure. and so he must have had all these other people following a, a child, basically. Basically, yeah. <laughs> they grew up and aged quick back at that time. <laughs> yeah. Um, he must have been quite a presence. I mean, he must have been really a. People were drawn to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, I think it leads to us that he was handsome. He was, you know, ruddy. I mean, there was a sense of. Uh, a man, you know, a man who was yet gentle. I mean, he's a good picture of what what men are really to be about. Even though he had to have, I mean, he had to have something that people knew he was a leader. Yeah, definitely. It just came out, and yeah. some have that, some don't. Yeah, David meant for him to have that. Yeah. He couldn't wear his physique wasn't big enough to wear uh, Saul's army guard. Or no, that's right. Yeah, so the seat wasn't too big, though, either, because he couldn't wear the armor. Right, right. But then he was only... But that was, yeah, he could only be about 14 then, really, so... And if his that... Dad, yeah. His dad knew sure, that, that he had nothing to do with looking for somebody when... So, when he was told yeah. that he was going to be king, 
<laughs> he was just. Can he really grasp that? What does that mean? What? Had Israel even had a king? No. Well. <laughs> David had, I mean, God had all on mind even way before David was ever even born that he was going to be sure. the king. So how about, uh, how about Noah? God tells oh, yeah, him that he's going to destroy the earth by the flood. 120 years. So Abraham just waited 25 years? Yeah. That was nothing compared to Noah. And David waited how many years? He waited 15. 15 at least, yeah. Jacob waited 14 years to get the wife that he was after in the first place. You remember that? He went seven years to pay for the one, and then the guy that is a deceiver, Laban, which Jacob is a deceiver too, which is what his name really is associated with, and uh, he said, well, no, that you have to pay seven more years to get her. So 14 years he went, Joseph had to wait a long time to see his father and his family, you know, when they came and of course he was like the right hand man of Pharaoh in Egypt. The Israelites had to wait four hundred and thirty years in Egypt. And not all was in the slavery, but so, yeah, that time was also in that, but they you know, to return to the promised land. Yeah. Uh in in Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, the Old Testament saints had to wait for us. And they're still waiting. <laughs> um, before they could see the promised kingdom. It still is waiting. And, you know, these saints, you know, as we come on along, and we will wait until God is finished uh, bringing out His elect all through these years. <laughs> Thousands of years God's people have waited for the coming of His kingdom. We whine and cry because we have to wait in line at Walmart. <laughs> for five minutes. We have sort of an instant life. Okay, instant. How about all the instant food places around? Mm -hmm. All the chains, the Tottles and the Wendy's and on and on and on. And uh, yeah, we, we are a fast society. Instant on TV. Instant everything. In microwave and your instant coffee pot. And if your internet, if it doesn't come on within one second, what's the problem here? It's really slow and it took like a second and a half. Do you remember when computers first came out in like in the early eighties made to consumers? Remember the five ten minutes to get that thing? Remember the wine that it made? Oh yeah. I can't even it was a horrible noise. Well if we had to put up with that now. Guys, don't don't be thinking eighties. Computers were around in the seventies. Oh, yeah, they were even before that. Right. But when you got one, when was it? Probably the 80s? 
Did you get one in the seventies? You had been a rare bird. I can remember uptown. There was a great big building so that the phone lines could all stay up. I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, no, the 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 computers back back in the beginning were huge and expensive. They took up city blocks. Actually, my first computer I know I had because it was when we moved out to the farm on Eighty Road. When was that? Ninety-four. Ninety-four. Wow. You of all people, yeah, I thought you would have had one back in the 60s, Rita. Tony got me one. Tony and, and wasn't it you and your brother were part doing the parts? It was nine I got one in 1985. One in 1985? Okay, but Texas Instrument put out one. I had one in 72 from Texas Instruments. 72? Sure there, you, that was rare. That was rare. There was yeah. one that started with a C where it really became uh, where viable, you know. Uh, Compact. What? What? Compact. Okay, that's one. Then there was another one. Was Commodore. 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 That was a monster. Oh yeah. That was a monster. Anyway, everybody thought they were great. My computer didn't have a name. I had a keyboard and I had a screen and I had a box. It didn't have a name. I just had all the parts. There really wasn't internet in. Oh, and we use those little discs. Debbie, they had internet because she was in the service. Military. And it was a yeah. military internet. And she was telling me that I should get one. And I think they just started. And she said, you should get a computer. So she came up. It had two gigabyte hard drive on it that they told me I would never use up in a million years. That lasted about six months. Uh, and um, from there, you know, it just kind of went really fast. But... I know it was 94 because we didn't move out there until 94. Can you imagine trying to put up with that one but Debbie's talking about like in the 70s or what what you had? You probably didn't think anything of it then, but oh, can you imagine trying to do that now? Oh, yeah, no. We what would we say? Great. Uh, <laughs> well, the one I had back then was mainly for math people, yeah. mathematicians. Said, you did. There wasn't a lot was, you could do. I mean, <laughs> nobody else was open. Debbie just made programs so she could put like all her movies and everything in place or books that she had. And yeah, I heard you could store your recipe cards on them. <laughs> you, could play, you, could, you could get a disc with a little game on it. And, little games on it. and you could make a program and play music. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we... So the first, that? One, the first one that really came out for that was actually with the monitor and a screen and everything um, for the end users was at 82. That yeah. had video games and the kind of things that yes. we think of computers now. Apple. Well, it was it was from IBM. It was an IBM. Yeah, IBM. IBM was the first to come out with a personal computer. And that's when things started to fly a little bit quicker. Yeah. Trained with apples or Macintoshes or yeah. something. Those, those screen about this big. Yeah, pretty small. Yeah. It's interesting, you know. You you see all of that, and you see well um, how our our minds are definitely in in a mode that's thinking now, instant, and when you when you look at it it's not only whenever you want your computer or everything else to work right and be happening now we think everything in our lives should be that way I think that we've been geared to that because of the time that we've lived in 
And, you know, you think about it, it, God doesn't operate on time, and He uses it as a test of our faith and endurance. There's a shortcut to good things the way that Satan makes it and the way that our flesh wants it. When you think of Adam and Eve at the very beginning there, um, and I, I believe that's where it started for humans. You know, they wanted what really God had something good for them, but it's much better than what they think they're going to get. And so it was quite a test, and it showed um, how man fails. Oh well, yeah, they should have listened a little more carefully. You know, they already had good yeah. the knowledge of the good. Right. And then they were going to get the knowledge of the good and evil. All the rest. If they'd have just listened, they'd have stuck with the good. The good. <laughs> we don't know what this evil right. thing is, but I don't think we And you'd recognize that this one over here is the evil one. <laughs> but the Israelites sinned in making that golden calf. Remember that? They were more or less making it like an image of the one true God. But that was wrong to make an idol. That's oh, exactly what God was trying to make for. I mean, who knew if he was coming back down? Yeah. <laughs> right. Strange. So they hurried it up, yeah. didn't they? I believe Saul did the same thing. It, it took a long time for Samuel to come, so what did he do? He offered the sacrifice. But Samuel was going to be there, and he showed up on time. Um... Number four, Satan off attacks by trying to capitalize on divine delay. And I think that's kind of what we've been talking about. God either does not know or He doesn't care. He gets that kind of thought in there. Maybe God just really doesn't care. So I guess I'll just go and do it anyway. Or maybe God's going to use this, this to get... To get Hey, didn't Abram and Sarah do that? Maybe he meant for me to take her, the slave, as a wife, and we can have a child, and I'll help him out. Yeah, and that'll work that way. We justify, right? Number five, faith is stretched out, and our intimacy with him can be enhanced in this particular time of waiting. You know, how many psalms are written during times of waiting? How long? How long? How long? How many times did David more or less say that? How long? And you can see why. We would do it too. But it's good for right us. Uh huh. There's a whole lot of them sitting right there about times yeah. of troubles. And yeah. But patience, endurance. Matter of fact, it shows off that fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace. Patience. 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 Faith in God's promises, right? Is this what God has said? Is it true? Finally, God always makes it worth the wait. There we go. You know, He's always going to do what is best. And if He knows what's best, Father knows best. <laughs> Remember that show? Truly, our Father knows best. You know, he, he's never late. He's never been late. We could charge Him that way, but uh, He's also seldom very quick. 
in our thinking, but it's all worth the waiting. It's worth it all. Uh, we can learn from David in his waiting that that really is normal for a Christian to have that kind of life. Waiting. Waiting. We'll be tempted to do the shortcuts, and that well we have. We'll be tempted sometimes to resolve in our hearts that what we think is right, let's do it now. Or we can also be like David was, waiting upon the Lord, knowing that His promises are in good time about being king, no matter what goes through our minds. But, but don't you also think of that there's displacency that can happen when it takes so long? Yeah. Become... Definitely. Oh, yeah. Overweight. <laughs> God's got to work a lot faster for me now because I can't remember what I'm waiting for. <laughs> no, I'm doing I already that. forgot. <laughs> but I was just thinking, you know, David was in an age that everything had happened real quick. Yeah, that get up and go time. Yeah, and he didn't do that. We look at it and we go, God was working through him. What did yeah. he? What did he? What did he implant into him there? You know, he prepared him for. Good things that lay ahead. Look all the grown decisions he had to make at that time too. Oh boy, he learned quickly, didn't he? He had to learn. There wasn't any, and so, a lot of them were really good, but not all of them were good decisions either. And that shows us that hey, there's a lot that we can learn from Old Testament people. David is one of them. He's one to check out, and the one, the ones where he wasn't so good at, would be the ones that we would say, "Not, nah, not. Nah, I can learn from that too. I'm not going that route, right?" Well, when he forgot to ask the Lord first before he proceeded, is when he always got himself in trouble. When he forgot to put the Lord in, in it first. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's when I get in trouble. <laughs> Putting yeah. the Lord first. Oh, what Lord? did I forget to do? And you'll notice whenever he says the Lord, you know, and and it's before something happens, you go, oh, he's on the right track. Simple as that. So, you know, we're going to see those things that are good, that he has promised. And a lot of them, like you say, we forget about what those are. Uh, but every time you're reading the text, you go, oh, yeah, that's really good. And you get start getting excited about, you know, God's truth and... I think we should devote ourselves to doing the good that we know to do. And and that's what it's about. When we know that this is what is good to do and you turn neither left nor right, you go straight down that path that He's designed, while we wait, uh, He will bring good things. And honestly, He always has in our lives. The only sad thing is we either forget about it or we don't recognize it. Because we might not be looking at the things that we should be looking at, right? But honestly, that is quite a lesson right there, just dealing with waiting. David did pretty good, but I'm, but you know we know that he wondered, <laughs> and I'm there, boy. A lot of times I wonder. You know, there's a prayer on here that I'm just going to use here. It's it's. Um, it's on the front page here by uh, Irenaeus, the early church fathers. Give perfection to beginners, O Father. Give intelligence to the little ones. Give aid to those who are running their course. Give sorrow to the negligent. 
Give fervor of spirit to the lukewarm. Give to the perfect a good consummation. For the sake of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And for that we say, Lord, thank you for giving us patience as we learn that. Put in our lives. Start it off. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Frida. Happy birthday to you. I couldn't believe today was May 4th. Already. Yay. It is. It's May. When I got my driver's license for you, I told Anita that, of course, I told her I was 39. So she's 29. I said, unfortunately, the picture they took of me.